0: Please open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Matthew, and today we're gonna to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 18, and I'll be reading from verse 21 down through verse 35. So we are uh, continuing in our series here at Cutler in the parables of Jesus, a, a series that I've entitled Stories of Eternal Weight, and this is our, our, sermon, our summer sermon series where we've been looking at and will be looking at up through Labor Day. A different, a different parable each Sunday. And this morning, and especially if you turn your, your, in your Bibles to the text, you'll see what it is. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so follow along as I read, uh, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart and this is the word of our God may the Lord bless its reading and its preaching and of course its hearing this morning one of the the things that um, I find really extraordinary and beautiful about the parables and it's part of the reason why I chose to preach the parables through the summer is that what the, what the parables allow us to, to see and to, to understand better is what the, what the kingdom of God is, is actually like. And, and what the kingdom of God is like in, in contrast to uh, what the kingdoms of and the values of this world are really like. And I think that's a statement that's true for, for all of these parables as they speak about God's kingdom, but it stands out in a really interesting way in this particular parable. Because this particular parable deals with forgiveness, right, and what it means. It it looks at it from a negative perspective, which we'll see as we kind of get into the parable more. But it deals with forgiveness, which is something that I think is in short supply in our world today. In fact, we we live in a a world where um, uh, forgiveness just almost is not seen anymore, I mean, just think about when people in our our society are offended, right? Or even the perception of offense, right? I think we we have become a culture and a world that is, is hypersensitive. So everything, like, sort of, you know, bothers us and we're ready to fight no matter what it is. But then what we also see, I think, in our society is we see a gracelessness. And then with that, a vengefulness, right? Both of those things. I think when you, when you think about it, and all of us are aware of, of cancel culture, right? And you think about that, that's what that is. I mean, it is, it is a, a graceless sort of vengeful response to offense, whatever that offense is. You've done something wrong. you said something wrong. Whatever it is, I'm going to get you back for that thing, right? This is the, the kind of world we live in today. Tim Keller, who passed away a few weeks ago, his last book was on forgiveness. And the book is entitled Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? And he, he makes an interesting statement in there. It's an assessment of our culture. And here's, what he, here's what he says. He says, American culture, which pits self-fulfillment against self-sacrifice, will produce revenge or withdrawal as a response to any mistreatment in such a culture, forgiveness is seen as self hating and revenge and anger are considered authentic. Just think about that for a moment. What he just said, forgiveness is self hating and revenge and anger are considered authentic. I mean, that's, it's startling. But it is, it is the world that we are presently living in. Now, one of, the, one of the things that I think is is true that we all understand is that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in the world, right? But we are not to be of the world. Right? It's true. Yeah, in the world, but not of the world. Right? But but at the same time, that is true. And we need to we need to make sure that we, we try to live that way. We also understand, as the way I, I kind of put it, that we sort of breathe in the, the, the realities of the culture that we find ourselves in. right? And we can. Which means that we need to always be on guard. That we're not being shaped by the, the, the wrong-headed, sinful, anti-God desires and ways and values of this world and this is one of those areas that we don't look like the world when it comes to response to offense and so Jesus here gives us this parable the parable of the unforgiving servant so it's a, it's negative to teach a positive truth and in this parable what we have to do, like in all the parables that we've looked at, and, and this will be the case as we continue through this series, you've got to look at setting, you got to look at context, because when you look at setting and context, it helps you to, to get a better sense as to what the parable specifically is about. This particular parable actually has two settings, and both of them are important to see. The first setting for the parable is, is actually the preceding passage that we did not read which is from verse 15 down to verse 20. And if you have your Bibles open, you can see it, read it later, I encourage you to do so. But it's a passage that I think for, for most of us, we probably know it, or at least I hope we do, because it is a, it's, a, it's a passage that helps us to understand how we can fulfill our vow to pursue the peace of the church. And what that passage deals with is what do we do When a fellow brother or sister in Christ sins against us, that's what the preceding text is about. How do we respond to that? When someone sins against us, which can happen because we all still struggle with sin and in the church, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know that we do that. We sometimes hurt each other. We sometimes sin against each other. So what do you do? Well, that's the text that tells us if a brother or sister sins against you, then you go to the person and you tell them about it, right? And what you hope will happen as a result of that is that the person will acknowledge what they've done, repent and ask for forgiveness. And what the text actually says is you have gained a brother or sister, that's what it says. Implied in that is the idea that you are to forgive the person and the relationship is to be restored. But what if the person doesn't do that? What if they don't repent? What if they don't ask for forgiveness? Well, the text goes on where Jesus says, then you need to take one or two people, one or two, and then you go with them, with those two, one or two people, you go to the person. And then you, you again talk to them about what they have done. If they repent and ask for forgiveness, you forgive. and The relationship is restored. But if not, here's what Jesus says. You have one or two, so you have witnesses now. You have witnesses, and then with the witnesses, you are to take them to the church is what it says, and by the church, it means to the the leadership of the church, the pastors, the elders of the church who are now to be involved in it, right, for the purpose of doing what? Really the same kind of thing, trying to get the person to repent, seek forgiveness to be forgiven, but if they do not, then this can become a matter of church discipline. Now, that is the first setting, okay? Okay. And the reason that's important, the first setting is important, is because we realize that when Jesus now goes on and he tells the parable, he's talking about our relationships. And he's talking about what we are to do when we sin against one another and when we pursue forgiveness and how to respond. If, if a person is, is asking to be forgiven, we are called to forgive them. Is basically what this is about, okay? Now, here's what happens. This, this is the second setting. Jesus teaches about that, verse 15 through 20, and Peter has some questions and this leads us into the text we've actually read not the parable yet but the text leading into the parable and this is verses 21 and 22 note again what it says then Peter came up and he said to him Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, so Peter is thinking about what Jesus has said, right? About forgiving others who who ask for forgiveness. And Peter is going, okay, I get that. But how many times do I have to do that? That's what he's basically saying. How many times do I have to do that? If a person sins against me and they ask for forgiveness, I forgive them and they do it again. How many times? And he then suggests seven seven times. Now, when Peter does that, his, his mind, I think here, it, 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 a little bit is, is, is me sort of kind of reading a bit into the text from the fuller Bible, biblical story, but, but seven is this important number. And I think he's thinking this number seven is a number about completion. And I also believe when he thinks seven, he's being generous. He's like, well, the rabbis only think three, but I'm going to say seven. Jesus responds by saying, Not seven, but 70 times seven. 77 times, 77 times. Not seven times, but 77 times. All right, so what is Jesus doing? Well, I think on the the one hand, what he's doing is he's offering a a, a number, right, that is is large enough that you kind of have to draw a conclusion that it's not about counting, right? It's not about counting how many times you forgive someone, but I think he's doing something more than that. And I think what he's doing when he uses that 77 times is he's talking, he's really sort of revealing to us two spirits, and the spirit that is to drive the kingdom of God. Now, how do I get there? There is another biblical story that I think, now, Jesus' mind would be full of the Bible. You have to remember that. And this story goes back to really the beginning of the Bible. And there was this man by the name of Lamech. Do you remember him? And Lamech was wounded by someone. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Lamech says to his two wives, and listen to these words, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. i put a pen in that for a moment. I have killed a man for wounding me. I have killed a man for wounding me. Look at our culture right now. And look at these crazy mass shootings all over our culture. I have killed a man for wounding me. Then Jesus, I think he picks up on what he says next. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, that's seven times. Peter said seven times. If Cain's is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. 77 times. Now, do you know what you see here, right? What do you see in Lamech? You see, I think you see the spirit of the world. I think it's what you see. You see a world that is just just overwhelmed with this idea of vengeance It's it's all about that. It's all about vengeance. And what Jesus is doing here, which I think is like just so profound and so important for all of us who are in Christ to hear, is he's saying, okay, the kingdom of God is radically opposed to that. If the world exists in this reality of 77 times of vengeance, here's the kingdom of God. It is 77 times of forgiveness. Of forgiveness. Now, what the parable does is it helps us to see why. And what he does in this parable is basically two things, okay? Okay. And it's simple. He basically does these two things. First thing he does is he talks about being forgiven. And then what he goes on to do is he talks about how being forgiven should lead, now he shows the negative of that, the opposite, but how it should lead to being forgiving, okay? This is his point. Being forgiven should lead us to being forgiving. So it's in the first part of the parable that we see this idea of being forgiven. And so if you notice again in verse 23 down through verse 27, it says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had And payment to be made and so the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me and I will pay you everything and out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now when we we look at this part of the parable, the first part of the parable, one of the things I want to make sure you understand is there are parts of this that would have been realistic. And what I mean by that is there are parts of this as Jesus tells this story that the crowds that were gathered around him would have heard it and go, yeah, okay, I get that. That makes sense. And what parts of it would have been that? Well, the parts of settling accounts and the parts of a master doing that or a king doing that and bringing those who were indebted to him before him and and, and then if the person wasn't able to pay the debt, another part of it that would have been realistic and everybody would go, yeah, I understand that. If the person couldn't pay the debt, he could be sold and his family sold and all that he had sold in order to help pay the debt. All of that would have been normal sort of ancient world reality. The part of it, because there is a part, that is like utterly, absolutely shocking deals with the amount that this man owed and what the king or the master eventually did. Because if you notice at the end of verse 24, it says that this man owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, okay? Now a, a talent was a, a monetary unit in that time and place, a monetary unit that was the highest, right? So then when you talk about 10,000 talents, you're, you're talking about an, an astronomical sum, sum of money. I mean, some, some have tried to kind of connect it to us today by saying it would be like this man, he owed... Multiple billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Here's a way for you to kind of get a perspective. Just look at the text itself. If you have your Bibles open, if you have the ESV, it's maybe true in the other Bibles, I just don't know. But in the ESV, there's a little number beside 10,000 talents, which takes you to a note at the bottom, which basically says this Here's what a talent is a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for labor. One talent is worth 20 years' wages for labor. One talent. This man owed 10,000 talents, which means this man, if my math is correct, I use my calculator, so I think this is correct, this man owed 200. Thousand years of labor to pay his debt back, 200,000 years, I mean, I got you, I heard you, I heard you when I was telling you these numbers, can you imagine the crowd, they're like, what? 200,000 years of labor. Now part of the reason why Jesus, and remember this is a story, he's making it up. So he's, he's putting these things because he's trying to draw in points. One of them is just the, the, the level of his indebtedness. But the other, it has to get to what the master does. What the master does. Because if you notice at verse 27, what does it say? Out of pity, which is compassion it's, it's one of those ways that Jesus has spoken of, the Father spoken of. It's part of how he responds to us out of pity, out of compassion. He forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. Now, when you, when you put this in a larger context, and we've already talked about the larger context being that of sin and how we sin against each other and all of that, you begin to understand what he's getting at because it's not just talking about money and things like that, it's talking about our sin debt and how great that is. How great that is. And how our sin debt is so great that it is beyond conceiving beyond imagining that we could do anything to pay it back. R.C. Sproul puts it like this, every time I break God's law, I become a debtor. And that's true, every single time. Let's let's just ask ourselves a little bit bit of a question, right? How many times have you done that? How big is your number? I bet you it's bigger than you think, right? And then he says, And we are debtors who can't possibly pay the debt. And yet like the king and the master in the parable, what our heavenly father has done, and this is the thing that's so beautiful about what, what he's trying to get at here. What I want you to see today is what our heavenly father has done is the unimaginable thing, the unimaginable thing of actually forgiving us. And like the parable, we need to understand this, that Forgiveness is costly. And that's one of the things we have to understand about forgiveness. It costs something. Take the master of the servant. What did it cost him to forgive that man? Two hundred thousand years of labor. But that pales in comparison to what it costs our father to forgive our sin debt. I want you to feel this. Jesus is putting us in these extremes because he wants us to feel this. The significance of our indebtedness, how bad it actually is. And not one of us escapes this. None of us in this room escaped this. And God Almighty paid... The costs, not of losing money, but of his son, who took all of that debt upon himself and faced the full wrath and judgment of God against that so that we could be forgiven. No wonder Charles Wesley could write amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me, being forgiven? But here's the thing that we see that's interesting about the passage. Because what he's really wanting us to understand here is how how that relationship has to inform these relationships. Isn't that what he's doing? He wants us to understand how being forgiven needs to now shape what it means in our lives to be forgiving, to be forgiving, right? And so if you notice, the parable goes the opposite direction. It looks at it from the negative. Now, I, I, I sort of thought a little bit, why, why is it that Jesus does this? Why doesn't he just sort of say it straightforward? As to what he's getting at for us to be forgiving. Why does he show it this way? Or say it this way? Tell the story this way. And I will I will surmise this that sometimes the 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 shock of the absurdity, it, it, it draws us up, it helps us to see something even more clearly. Do you understand what I'm saying? That when we look at it this way, it, it's so ugly, it's so ugly. And it's so profoundly wrong and so raw what we see, what happens here, that it it should sort of help us to begin to see how our sort of unforgiving postures towards others, when we have been forgiven so much, it just, it makes no sense when we see it this way, right? And so if you notice in the next part of the parable, it goes on to say in verse 28 down through verse 38, But when that same servant, same guy, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now there's parts of this second part of the parable that's very similar to the first part of the parable, right? I mean, you have a master and a servant. You have the servant that owes the master something, right? You have the the servant pleading with the master to be patient, right? The things that are very different are the amounts and the sum. Because in the second part of the parable, the amount the servant owes, he says, is 100 denarii, 100 denarii. Now that's not just an insignificant amount. Some, some commentators in the past have basically said it's just a few dollars. That's not that, not, it's not that, that's not the point. In fact, there's a note to this down at the bottom again, where it says a denarius is a day's wage for labor. So if you have 100 denarius, that's 100 days of labor. That's not a little insignificant amount of money for a laborer, that's a pretty significant amount of money. But do it this way, compare and contrast 100 days of labor to 200,000 years of labor and you begin to see how utterly absurd it is what this man the master does to this servant right because what he does is this this man comes and pleads as he had pled, or pleaded what in the world is the word English people it's pled? All oh, right, got that right. Probably never used that word in my whole life, and I just thought of it. <laughs> so he came and he did that. And it's interesting, the, the, the master, the, the secondest, the one that was originally forgiven, he, he actually, the text tells us this, he assaulted the man. Do you see that? He seized him and he choked him. And he didn't even consider selling his stuff off to try to make... He threw the guy in prison. That's what he did. He threw him in prison. Right Now, here's how we are to respond to that. Because Jesus actually tells us. It would have been the way the crowd was probably responding when they heard this. It's the way I hope you are already responding... But Jesus actually puts us in the parable because you see the response in the parable itself to what this man does. And this is verse 31 down through verse 34 where it says, When, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, and this is what you need to see, they were greatly distressed. Were you? I, I hope so. I hope the heads are going like this. Yes. You were greatly distressed. Why? Because of what you just witnessed. You were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now what we cannot miss in this are these words. It's the the point made at the end of verse 32 and the question asked at the beginning of verse 33. And we all need to live in this for a moment. So the point made in verse 32 is this. I forgave you all that debt. Christian. Hear Jesus say this to you right now. I forgave you all that debt. A profound amount of debt. And I've been forgiven it, you've been forgiven it, all that debt. And then he asks the question, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Do you see it? See the way the logic works? And what in the world happened to this man text doesn't tell us but let's surmise a bit I'm certain he was happy I'm certain he felt like he got a break I'm certain he felt like he was released but do you know what he wasn't he wasn't transformed by mercy you know what you are transformed by mercy you hear me He wasn't. If you are a Christian today, you are. You are. What it means is that the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of the living God has changed you. It's made you new and different. Okay, Not that we don't struggle with sin and not that we aren't going to at times struggle with the process of getting to the place of forgiving other people. But I am telling you that if you have experienced the grace of the living God that has truly been something you've accepted for the forgiveness of all of your debt, and just look at it this way, here is all of your debt before a holy God, and here is that sin against you by another person, and it may be big, it may be hurtful, it may be harmful, it may have messed you up for a time, but I will assure you of this truth. Whatever that sin is, pales, utterly, absolutely pales in comparison to all of your sin forgiven by God. And so Jesus ends the parable with a warning. So also, verse 35, also my heavenly Father will do, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's talking about genuine forgiveness from the heart, not an external, I'm sorry you don't really forgive, but from the heart. Now make sure you understand this because what Jesus is not doing is saying to us this idea of, of well, I, I forgive and merit my salvation. If I don't forgive, I lose my salvation. That's not the point of this. What he's basically saying is if you have been forgiven, you are going to forgive. And if you don't forgive, if your life, let me put it this way, if your life looks like the vengefulness of this world, if it looks like the gracelessness of this world, then here's what I want to tell you. You may not be saved. And what you need is Jesus. Right here and right now, you need Jesus. You don't need the world to line itself up rightly around you. You need to get your life right before Him. And He's there for you. Because the answer to a forgiven heart, really, this is true for all of us, is that our, we see our sin and the cross magnified before it. And this is why Paul tells us, and this is really the dynamic, the reality of what church life should be like, my brothers and sisters in Christ, by the Spirit of God, may we want this more here, and it is this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you, amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word in this time in it, for your faithfulness in teaching us the wonders and the reality of your kingdom. By your spirit, Lord, help us to understand it better and to see it lived out in our lives and in your church. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite uh, all of